Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where each week, Pastor Jeff Cranston explores biblical theology that provides practical life applications in an understandable way. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Tiffany Coker. Along with my dad, Pastor Jeff Cranston, we are seeking not only to help you know deep, solid biblical theology, but to know the Word of God and the promises of God that are given to us in His Word, all while holding to solid theological truths in your heart, soul, and mind. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to take just a second and say thank you to you guys, our listeners. Kitchen Table Theology now has over 70,000 downloads, and that really is because of you all. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for sharing with your friends. Thank you for all of the ratings and reviews that you all have left that really helps spread the word. People are getting connected with Kitchen Table Theology. They're able to hear biblical truth in a relatable way, and we are so honored really just to be on this journey with you all. Before we jump into today's podcast, we just want to say welcome back to Dad. He's um, been on a sabbatical for a couple weeks, so we are glad to have you back here. Thank you. It's good to be back. Awesome. On today's podcast, we are going to look at a pretty well-known New Testament letter of the Apostle Paul's, the letter to the church at Ephesus, which known to us today simply Ephesians. Author Brian Chappelle, Brian Chappell, I apologize, I do not know how to correctly pronounce his name, but the author Brian Chappell will go with, writes this, the reality of the ordinary progress of Christian understanding should not escape our notice. Early believers know no answers. Immature believers know all the answers. And mature believers know the limits of our answers. There's much wisdom in that statement, and it's something that I think we find here in Ephesians. Paul addresses topics to early, immature, and mature believers. So again, if you're new to us here at Kitchen Table Theology, we are walking through every Bible book discovering some of the theological themes found in each book and also giving a summarizing overview. So if you've missed any of those, you can go back and catch up with us. Um, But for today, we're going to pick back up now that dad is back from his sabbatical with the book of Ephesians. Yeah. And hello again, Kitchen Table Theologians. It is good to be back. It was nice to be off, but it is uh, equally nice to be back and I hope you have been doing well. And uh, it's really wonderful to be with you again and connect in this way. And so what a great New Testament letter that we come back to today. Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus is filled with theological themes on every page and in every chapter. So we'll do our best to gain some understanding of all that today. Let's go ahead and get started. I think we can all assume by the title given to the book in most of our New Testaments, the Epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, that we might not need to spend too much time on who the author of this letter is. I mean, that should be a no-brainer for us today, right? Au contraire, mon fil. That's how you like that. I learned French during my sabbatical. (laughs) On the contrary, my daughter. There, There actually has been some debate among scholars whether Paul really wrote the letter to the Ephesians. Personally, I do think it is a slam dunk that Paul wrote it. Why would people discount Paul's authorship of this book? Well, it's generally along the lines of them saying some of the vocabulary is different from Paul's other writings, 
or some of the theology is different from Paul's other writings. And these are arguments often used by those who try to discount authorship of biblical writers. If they've written more than one thing, they sort of run to those two arguments. The writing's a little bit different or the theology's a little bit different, but quite frankly, it's all a little weak. I think authors often use different words or phrases depending on whom they're writing to or even what they're writing about. So I think we could maybe use that same comparison here. Why couldn't a theologian like Paul talk about things in different ways depending on his audience or his specific topic, right? Yeah, and that's a great point. Authors can, they do, they did. So rather than trust some of the modern people who want to discount all of this, I think it's better for us to trust the ancient people who were closer to the original writing. And all of these ancient people, they all thought that Paul wrote it? Yeah, they did. And and here's why. The, the author of Ephesians claims to be Paul, and there are tons of first-person references in the letter that are tied to major points within the letter. All of that is tough to fathom if Paul didn't actually write it. Even more, this letter speaks of getting rid of lying and speaking the truth in love. How can that have any credibility if the author is deceiving them about his own identity? <laughs> and from quotes from the early church fathers, it's clear that the epistle to the Ephesians was, it was well known, it was viewed as authoritative, written by Paul, and it was in wide circulation from the earliest days uh, in in the first century church. And, and so in short, there's no good reason to say someone other than Paul wrote it. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> yeah, we, Perhaps, we just took care of all that. We took care of all that. Thank you for that explanation. Perhaps um, now a little background on the book would be helpful. Can you tell us a little bit about Paul and the Ephesian people? Sure. For a brief time at the end of his second missionary journey, and then for more than two years on his third missionary journey, Paul ministered to the church at Ephesus living among them. So this is a place where he spent a lot of time. And like most places where Paul hung out for an extended period of time, he saw great numbers of people converted to faith in Christ. And along with that, he experienced opposition to his preaching, uh, both in the synagogues and in people's homes. So wherever he was proclaiming this news, there was always opposition, but there was always salvation. There's an interesting vignette in the letter regarding a prominent silversmith named Demetrius. And Demetrius made implements, idols, things for the temple, things like that, for the worship of a god by the name of Artemis. Artemis was a god worshipped by the Ephesian people, and there was a rather large temple and emphasis uh, on on Art Artemis. So this silversmith, Demetrius, his business began to suffer a great deal because so many people were converting to Christianity and no longer purchasing all the Artemis stuff that he had in his little Etsy shop there in, in Ephesus. And, 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 and he got some other business people together and tensions began to overheat to the point that a near riot ensued 
That caused Paul to leave the city, but only after the apostle had done a great deal to stabilize and grow the Christian community there. I do always love hearing some of the background to these letters. It really does seem like Paul is always stirring stuff up wherever he goes, (laughs) causing trouble. All right, about when was this happening? When did all this happen? When was this letter written? Give or take around 60 to 61 AD, nearly the same time Paul wrote Colossians and Philemon. We know because he said all these three letters to the various congregations with a man by the name of Tychicus. And he was accompanied by Onesimus. It was during this time that Paul sat in Rome, undergoing his first Roman imprisonment, making Ephesians one of the four epistles commonly known as the prison epistles. And so, Tiff, that leads us to one, a, a one-question New Testament quiz. Can you name the other three prison epistles? And kitchen table theologian, while she's thinking of that, can you name the other three prison epistles. One of them was Ephesians. So what do you got? I'm going to be honest. I could only come up with one, and it is Philippians. Yeah, There's a verse. I feel like it's in chapter one. Paul says, I'm writing this in chains. But you just said the other two. (laughs) I did? Oh, I did. (laughs) I would not have gotten that. Brother, so everybody got 100 on that quiz, but no, you're not getting a coffee mug. (laughs) Yeah, that was really wise of me. So, yeah. Thanks for that. Quizzes are easier when someone gives you the answers beforehand. Yes, that was great. Well, you did very well. Uh, on that Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, <laughs> and Ephesians, all all written by Paul while he was in prison, and and yet they contain some of the most liberating thoughts of the Christian life imaginable. I, I love that about those four letters. Before we jump into the theological themes, is there anything else that we need to know about this letter to the Ephesians? Well, maybe maybe just this: some of Paul's letters, like. Second Corinthians and Galatians are filled with personal touches from Paul. He's, he's talking about the time he had with them. He's referring to people by name. He's expressing, you know, some of his feelings toward individuals. And Ephesians, on the other hand, stands at the opposite end of the spectrum as one of Paul's most formal letters. And thus, one of the arguments used against Pauline authorship. Mm-hmm. Ephesians, it, it, it's not too dissimilar from Romans because it deals with topics at the very core of what it means to be a Christian, both in faith and especially in practice. And and these things that Paul writes about are regardless of any particular problem in the local church community. If that, you know, some of his letters he's addressing, especially Corinthians. He's addressing problems within that Corinthian church. Here in Ephesians, not so much. He's sort of taking the 33,000-foot view about how to live the Christian life. Okay, very interesting. And also that seems um, in contradiction, not contradiction, I don't know what the right word is. A couple weeks ago when we studied Galatians, it was a more personal letter, I remember us saying. So this one is 
um, more formal, as you said. All right, yeah. let's move on. What are some of the theological themes that we can find in this letter? Well, okay, yeah. There, in in one sense, there's nothing distinct about the theology of Ephesians, in contrast to Paul's other writing. And but theologian Harold Honer said this: the letter to the Ephesians is one of the most influential documents in the Christian church. So why has this small letter, it's only 200 some verses, six chapters, how how has that had such a big impact on the church? Well, the answer, at least in part, is due to the depth, I think, and the diversity of topics that are emphasized by Paul in the letter. Dr. Benjamin Merkel holds the chair of New Testament studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he's writing about this book, and uh, I ran across a list of topics. He says, here's, here's some major theological themes. So we'll, we'll sort of take off on, on what Dr. Merkel points out. He says, you see the, the plan of God and salvation. We see union with Christ. We see walking according to the Spirit. We see the unity of the church. And we see spiritual warfare. So we'll, we'll take that list and do a brief run through. All right. So five theological themes there. The first one, why don't you unpack for us God's salvation plan for us as we see it here in Ephesians? Sure. Well, in right, right at the beginning of the book, in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, which, which is, by the way, verses 3 to 14 is one long sentence. Oh of 202 words in the original Greek, Paul speaks about, just in those verses, he speaks about election, redemption, adoption, inheritance, perseverance, and regeneration. It's like he started and became so excited about it all that he didn't take a breath until it all came pouring out of him. And, and Paul reminds us that God chose us, redeemed us, put us in his will, as it were, included us to receive an inheritance. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit of promise. And Paul just erupts in praise to God for all this. And that, that's all within the context of the plan of salvation. All in one long run-on sentence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it is one. Uh, I mean, when's the last time you wrote a sentence with 202 words in it? I'm trying to get my boys to write a sentence with like six words in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yes. Okay. Next, we have the theological theme of the believer being united in Christ. Tell us about that one. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Paul references our union with Christ nearly 200 times in all of his writings. And about 40 of these are found in Ephesians, which I find amazing. Ephesians 1 has the highest concentration of, quote, in Christ, end quote, language in the letter, especially the text I just referred to from verses 3 to 14 in chapter 1. There's 11 occurrences of being in Christ in just those verses alone. Wow. As you run through those first 13 verses, verse 4, we're chosen in Christ. Verse 5, we're predestined in him. Verse 6, we are blessed in the beloved, that's Christ. We're redeemed in him in verse 7. In verse 10, we're united in him. Verse 11, we're granted an inheritance in him. And in verse 13, we're sealed with the Spirit in him. So union 
with Christ is often the anchor that grounds Paul's theology as it should ours as well. That, that whole idea of the believer being in Christ. So we see the theology of union with Christ. We talked about God's salvation plan, all of that in, those, in that first chapter. Next is walking according to the Spirit. So yeah, before Paul provides instructions on how believers are to live, he first reminds us of our former condition. So he's going to say, here's how to walk according to the Spirit, but let's not forget who we were. He said, we were spiritually dead. We lived according to the world, the flesh, the devil. That resulted in us being disobedient, living contrary lives to God. We were people under God's wrath. And then mercy broke in. And through repentance and faith, we were made alive. Guess how? In Christ. So what a contrast. We were dead, but God made us alive. We were under God's wrath, but God has shown us his mercy. We were enslaved to this world, to its lusts and the influence of the devil, but God has seated us together with Christ in the heavenly. So now that believers walk in a new life by the power of the Spirit, that dictates how we are to live. And Paul says we're to walk according to the Spirit. And he loves that term walking. The term walking occurs 32 times in the letter of Ephesians and in his other writings. I mean, it's a metaphor he definitely liked. Well, he probably did a lot of walking in his days between all of these terms. Yeah, he he did. And he compared it to life in the Spirit. You're just walking along with the Spirit. I like it. All right. We have God's plan of salvation, union with and in Christ, walking in the Spirit, as we just discussed. Next, we see the unity of the church. Yeah, and we see this a lot in Romans because like most of the early church, the Ephesians were also dealing with having believers from Jewish and non-Jewish backgrounds. And that often caused a number of issues. And Paul addresses that again in this letter and quite often declared that unity has got to be found in the church and reminds us that this has already been accomplished positionally Christ has already brought us together by his blood and through his cross. But the reality is people are different and people have a hard time getting along sometimes. So this is a pretty radical implication that the gospel introduced into culture and society. This new reality that Gentiles, and Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 19, Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens. You know, and he's speaking as a Jewish man. This is how I, how I used to think of them. But now that Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ, they're part of God's kingdom, God's family. And he talks about that in verse 19 of chapter 2. And he, and he sums all of that up very succinctly in chapter 4, where he bases the unity of the church by declaring that we are unified and are of one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. And so when he's giving all those ones, I think there's seven of them. He says, that's, if you don't know where the unity in the church is coming from, that's what binds us together. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. Then finally, we see Paul addressing a pretty in- Important topic, I think, of spiritual warfare. Talk to us a little bit about that one. Yeah, he does. Um, Dr. Merkel, who I mentioned earlier, he, he writes this. 
The book of Ephesians has the longest discussion about spiritual warfare in the New Testament. Of course, that's in chapter 6. Paul lays out what is perhaps one of the better-known passages of Scripture when he explains what it means to put on the full armor of God. That's a term most Christians are going to be familiar with. And, and Paul uses, you know, he, he, we, he talks a lot about walking, but here he uses the wording to stand four times just in chapter six. So he's reiterating how important it is for us to take not only a defensive, but also an offensive posture against the wiles and schemes of the enemy, the devil. And he ends up by reminding us that all of our, our power, all, the source of our power, comes from God alone. And that's all in the context of spiritual warfare. I think that in one sense, the theology of Ephesians really doesn't offer anything brand new in comparison to Paul's other writings. He's very consistent with the theology that's in the rest of the Bible. But it does maybe seem as if his letter to the Ephesians maybe shines a light on certain topics more than his other writings do, or even than other New Testament books do. Maybe that's why Christians down through the centuries uh, have turned to the book of Ephesians again and again for guidance. I know personally, it's one of my favorite books. And as you said, that most Christians are very familiar with putting on the full armor of God, stand and be strong, you know, all of that. So great, great verses, great chapter there. Thanks so much again for listening to Kitchen Table Theology. Uh, as always, we want to say thanks to our spiritual home here at Low Country Community Church in Bluffton, South Carolina, for making this podcast possible. You can head on over to jeffcranston.com for more information about Dr. Cranston, his books, sermons, leadership notes, and blog posts. And don't forget, for more information, you can also check out the episode notes wherever you are listening today. And Lord willing, next week we'll be back with another episode. We will be back into the Old Testament. I think it will be the book of First Kings next week. So there it is. Now go deeper. And until next time, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, please check out our show notes. If you have a question from today's podcast, kindly email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.